So sometimes we spiral when we own or identify whatever the end result of the offense is. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with pastor, not just any pastor, my pastor of Center of Hope Church in Inglewood, California, Jeremy Dixon. Now he says that unforgiveness will distract you from your purpose. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. I am so excited. Let me tell you why. I'm super excited today, not just to introduce you to my pastor, but because I am finally settling into my new home and now I can record with my mic (laughs) In my complete setup, if you have been hanging in there with me for the last couple of weeks and thinking to yourself, what the heck is going on? Let me tell you what was going on. I was on the road for a month straight, living out of hotels, trying to record wherever I could. And that included recording the last episode in an empty house. So the sound was horrific. You know, I apologize for that, but I'm so excited that you still love me and that you still got value out of the power of mastery and momentum. We are back on our game. Our stuff is all set up and I am super excited. So if you've been uh, on this path with me for the last few weeks, then you know that the doors of mastery and momentum are now closed until we open cycle three in December 2019. And I'll tell you now that even for December 2019, for the 2020 cohort that we have, we already have four people who have put deposits down because they don't want to miss that mastermind experience. And so if you've been hearing a lot about it, or if you're new here and you want to know what the heck I'm talking about, just go to masteryandmomentum.com and check out my 12-month holistic mastermind for women. Super excited to welcome these Ladies that have said yes to creating the best version of themselves uh, spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally, in every single way and doing it in a structured system for support. We are the celebration circle for those women and I am so excited to serve them. Let me tell you, today's episode is easily one of the best breakdowns of unforgiveness and how us choosing to be victims And choosing to harbor a spirit of offense will take us off our path. And if you're new here and you're like, I clicked on a money podcast. I thought this was redefining wealth. Let me tell you a little something about us purpose chasers in this community. What we believe is that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. When you go back to the 12th century definition of wealth, it was about the condition of well-being. And there are so many things that contribute to our well-being And therefore, the byproduct is how we interact and relate to our money. And so that's what we do here at Redefining Wealth. We unpack this thing from every single angle and you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. If this is your first time, stick around. And I'm going to tell you, go ahead and click subscribe now because you're going to love it. And for my OG listeners and purpose chasers from all over the world, This is a discussion I want to have in the Purpose Chasers community at IamAPurposeChaser.com. 
Like we really need to talk about this because the root of distraction for so many of us, we have all of the intellect, we have the knowledge, we have the wisdom, we have the information, but it's not getting applied because of this, what we're getting into today, unforgiveness. So without further ado, let me formally introduce Jeremy Dixon. Pastor Jeremy Dixon has served as an associate and now lead pastor for over 19 years at the Center of Hope in Inglewood, California. Known for his approachable demeanor and common sense approach to kingdom living, he has the unique ability to connect with individuals from all walks of life. Pastor Jeremy's particular blend of humor, inspiration, and sound biblical grounding has opened doors for him to be a guest facilitator and a sought-after speaker for churches, conferences, and conventions, both nationally and internationally. And I must tell you, again, I am so, so honored to have him on because this is the person who has poured in to my life, my daughter's life, my husband's life for the last few years. Without further ado... Here is Pastor Jeremy Dixon. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Pastor G. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So good to be here. Man, I'm so glad that I finally get to have you on the podcast <laughs> because, you know, I can't get through church without people stopping me like, when you going to have Pastor G? I'm like, when you going to tell Pastor G? Because <laughs> I have made my invitation. The man is going to Africa and he's speaking all over the place and he's doing stuff. So I'm really honored. I, I really, really feel honored to be able to have an opportunity to interview my pastor. Like that's big. I interview a lot of folks, but you are the person who pours into my family week after week. And I am really grateful that I get to introduce my audience to you because I really feel like I'm an extension and a byproduct of the word that you put down every week. And so I'm really, really, really grateful to have you. That's super cool. And I think, you know, it's such a blessing. You know, I, I love our entire congregation so much. And I'm always inspired by what I know, the folk who are part of our world, what they're accomplishing. But it's always a blessing when I look, if I'm whether it's social media or just all the places that I know that that you're active to see how your just your brand and your light honestly is shining so brightly clear across the globe. And I get a chance to be a part of that and to share with you and your family. So it just it just makes my heart glad to know that I'm connected to such an incredible uh, group of folk and, and all the work that you do and you and Gerald does. I'm just really, really grateful to know you both. Yes, indeed. So there's so many different sermons and series that you've done that I could have invited you on the podcast to do. There's so much, but there was a series you did towards the end of 2018 called Unstuck. Yes. And, and Unstuck <laughs> has been stuck on me. Like, I show you my notes after church sometimes. You know, I take yeah. copious notes and I really try to go back and meditate on different things that you've shared and go back to the word for myself and all that stuff. And Unstuck in the last couple years, you know, of all the series that I've heard is the one that really just keeps resonating. And there were five big ideas here. There was unload, unplug, uncover, unshackle, and unsubscribe. Right. And when I invited you on the podcast, I was like, we going in, we going to do all the uns, right? (laughs) And then I started to try to lay it out and do like 40 minutes. And I was like, well, ma'am, there's a reason that this has been a five week series. (laughs) It is impossible to get all this in. So what I thought I'd do 
is narrow it down to the one that keeps bringing me back. Like just keeps, I keep having to go to it. And I believe for this audience in this season that this is going to probably be one of the best conversations we've ever had on the topic of forgiveness, because I don't Mm -hmm. think that we understand how unforgiveness really inhibits us from being able to move forward and possibly create the wealth that we want in our lives. And the one that I want to focus on today, if it's okay with you, is unshackle. Yeah. Yeah. Unshackle. That was that was heavy. That was a really heavy one. My buddy, whenever I prepare sermons, you know, me and him will we'll talk. And he has this this line. He always every time he's like, hey, at what point did you cry when you were writing this sermon? And I, mm-hmm. I'll tell you that the unshackle one was probably the most the heaviest, had the, the biggest gravitational pull. Uh, when it came to ch- trying to unload this idea of how we are, most of us, we have to battle. We have to wrestle with this concept if we're going to walk in the success and prosperity that God has for us. Well, one of the ways that you started the the sermon was saying that as long as we're not actively pursuing forgiveness, we are standing at the gate of incarceration for yeah. everyone we've ever held in contempt. Yeah. Unpack that. <laughs> that alone. So, you know, um, in fact, you know, my, my thought is like the most damning indictment against unforgiveness is the notion that we are tethered to every person that we cannot release. You know, um, it, it would be something if our unforgiveness locked the person away and we could throw away that key and we can move on with life. But that's just not how it works. Like when you um, are incapable of disconnecting yourself from the pain and the trauma uh, that has been you know, wrought in your life, it really does impede your ability to walk in, in the success uh, that I know all of us desire. And I think about my own life. So, you know, for me, and like most of us, the way in which we you know, and this is not in any way to be reductive or diminish the pain that people experience, but the way in which we legitimize it is by highlighting the fact that the gravity of what took place necessitates some punishment, necessitates some, you know, activity that that rights the wrong. And we we feel like we have to be the ones um, on some level to make sure that that person has paid their debt, you know, to us in some way. And while I certainly understand and have felt that throughout my life, what I know is this to some extent, you know, if we're not careful as we seek to bring that about in someone else's life, um, we have to stay until the proceedings are over. And sometimes we have to stay until the sentence is served. And if someone, you know, you know, imagine having to live you know, guarding the gate of someone that has a life sentence, <laughs> you know, that's mm. done, you know? And so, you know, I, when I think about this in the framework of, of, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher, as you know, and the framework of faith, I look at the beginning of time, you know, when at the onset of humanity, you know, God creates heaven and earth and I mean, creates the, the world and creates mankind. And he's like, yo, be fruitful, multiply, run around, you know, replenish. I mean, all these big ideas about dominion and expansion. And then the enemy comes and says, hey, check out this one tree that you weren't allowed to touch. And the person, you know, who I I don't even want to call his name because sometimes we try to make, you know, the first people so different from us. But the truth is they were just like us. We'd have done the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But they eat of this fruit, they get focused on this one thing. And then what the word says is that they hear God's feet walking in the garden and they say, look, we hid because we heard you coming. And so we hid among the trees because we were afraid. So here's my point in saying, ultimately, this is what unforgiveness does. Like there's a world out there waiting for us and all that we have to offer. And then something happens and it's like immediately our minds shift from all that's available, all that's, you know, calling us all the opportunities to this thing, to this pain, to this brokenness. And so we just hide and we get stuck in the shrubberies, you know, of this circumstance, unable to fulfill the calling of God to go out and be fruitful, multiply, fill and replenish the earth. And so it's 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 dangerous. Mm. Man, I man, I think we all identify with that on so many levels. How many times you have, you know, kind of imagined or been inspired by something that God put on your heart and you see it you dream it in full color and you are headed in that direction and then a distraction comes up and you get buried in the shrubbery as you said you are just stuck and going in circles in this one area and so much of it is tied to unforgiveness and the way that you broke it down during that sermon was amazing you started with this idea of you know, kind of how punishments come about, if you will, and in, in that the first part of this is arrest or the pre-arrest right. investigation. <laughs> right. Yes. Like, I love right. how your brain works. So this yes. whole pre-arrest investigation you talked about before yeah. we can get forgiveness, we have to get clarity around whether what we were offended by even happened. Yes. And I'm going to tell you something. Oddly enough, if we have a thorough, um, comprehensive calm, logical process for investigating the circumstance from a place of really trying to get understanding and trying to get to a good place. In in a lot of cases, we would find out that unforgiveness is not necessary because there was really no wrong to begin with. In our culture right now, you know, we know that there's a whole lot of conversation around you know, individuals who are, you know, minding their own business or in some way just living life, being, you know, accused and arrested and all kind of other stuff. So we've seen it happen. And what's funny is we we will march in the streets when we see someone who is innocent being held without cause. Yet we as human beings, you know, every day of our lives are subject to this same you know concept of kind of feeling or sensing or assuming or, you know, allowing someone who's not legitimate or someone who's not, you know, viable to bring us some foolishness. And then we'll buy into it without any investigation and be all in our feelings. And then something occurs or something begins to mushroom that really was a misunderstanding or something that didn't happen at all, you know? Right. Like you didn't even see it for yourself. right? Right. And so we end up holding grudges with people who really didn't do or say anything. Yep. To begin with, and even if we heard it with our own ears, we may have not perceived it to be as bad as the the carrier of the news, because, you know, there's always one person who want to come tell you what so-and-so said. But I've learned in my own life, like, you know, when you talked about during that series kind of unloading, one of the types of people that I had to unload in my life were people who were very attracted to the spirit of offense. Yes. So, you know, they they love being offended. Yes. What they want to bring to you. And so I'm one of those people who's not really easily offended. 
Mm-hmm. I kind of am like, la, la, la. Like, I feel so focused on my purpose. Yeah. And so fulfilled in what I do that, like, usually if someone has something going on, I, I literally chop it up to they must be going through something. It really doesn't dawn on me that they have a problem with me. That's probably like. You're not a chronic victim. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and there's some like, people who are just chronic victims. Yeah. And so people around me. And not not necessarily people I can say that I've chosen in this stage of my life, but you know how sometimes we allow people to kind of drag along from season to season. There's definitely been people from previous seasons of my life where I didn't kind of let that go and leave it in the season where it should be that still operate in this spirit of offense. And so now, especially that, you know, in order to have any platform, you have to keep making yourself visible and putting yourself out there. And so I've had people say, you know, so-and-so said that they saw what you put on Facebook or they don't think what you did on Instagram was appropriate or they don't think that this is an alignment. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? Be offended by that? Right. Like, <laughs> like, right. I'm not about to hold a grudge against this person because right. of something that you said. Yep. They said. Yep. You know, what's amazing is when I think about, so this whole like pre-arrest investigation concept, here are some things that I kind of live by. Number one, did I witness it? Did I see it? Is it something that I perceive, you know, just with my own eyes? Number two, who are the people bringing to my attention? Are they credible individuals? Number three, is it a misunderstanding? Is it something that either of us misunderstood? Next, I'm thinking, is there implicit bias at work? Because here's what I know. And this one is so heavy to me because sometimes what I've learned in my own experience is that my own bias kind of precede my intellect. And I'll show up in a space or show up in a relationship or show up in an interaction or engagement. And because I have this implicit by these people think this way or this person sees me this way, that I'll then put on them things that are never really kind of occurring in their mind. And then ultimately, do I feel entitled or is this a control thing? And so I'm offended not because something actually happened that was wrong. I'm offended because I want it a different way or my control, you know, disposition or, or my pride, you know, desired something that really I'm not entitled to. So when I run those kind of plays in my mind, when I'm dealing with something, it helps me to kind of deescalate immediately to say, you know what, this does not have to be a problem. You're making this into something it doesn't need to be, you know? Oh, if we could just stop and do that sooner, quicker, faster. Like, I think the world's problems will be solved, right? Absolutely. Okay, so the second piece to this was the arraignment. The formal yeah. charges are being presented to you. And yeah. something that stands out to me uh, from, from when I heard this the first time is that you talked about that many of us don't know how to process our feelings. Yeah. And we don't know how to articulate what's going on. And yep. that's what that arraignment period is about. Can you break that down? Sure. So the arraignment is a part where an individual that is um, under arrest or being charged, going to be charged, gets to hear exactly what it is they're being charged with. And, you know, this is difficult because this requires. Now, let me be very, very clear. I want to say this as a caveat, Um, because I, I, I preach in principle and it covers a lot of people in a lot of circumstances. I want to be very, very, very careful about this. Let me say that when you are in a situation when there has been some physical harm, um, there is the potential for some level of, you know, future maybe like, you know, if, if there is an, uh, 
a sexual assault or there's some physical abuse or there's any potentiality around you being harmed, it's, it, it takes a bit more thinking when it comes to this part. So I'm not telling someone that has been abused or, you know, in some way physically, you know, harmed or even in some way at a heightened state emotionally harmed to just go and have a conversation. Right. There needs to be some wisdom employed when it comes to that. But having said that, when it is possible and when it is safe, when it is possible and when it is safe, it is imperative, I believe, for the process of forgiveness to be able to sit with the person that has maybe offended or harmed you and to have a legitimate conversation about what you feel. Now, here's what this requires. You can't talk about what you haven't really settled in your own heart and mind. What I mean by that is this, that it really requires for us to sit and say, okay, you know, this happened, that happened. I'm feeling all sorts of things, but what is the real problem, right? I know what I'm feeling and I can process what I'm feeling. When I sit with, with the person that has maybe said something or done something that has crossed, you know, you know, crossed me or impacted me, I need to be able to articulate in a healthy way. Like, you know, friend, you know, spouse, child, parent, you know, whatever, colleague. Hey, you know, when this happened, you know, I'm not at this point assigning blame or motivation, but I, I do need to share with you that this is what took place. This is how that made me feel. And I'd love to talk a bit about that with you. And when you approach it, in my estimation, number one, from a place of strength and of confidence, and then from a place, not accusatory, but putting more questions where judgments typically go and beginning to really you know, create a space and an environment for dialogue, it will, in my estimation, move you closer to being able to hear from the individual, get the insight, and then sometimes be able to say, you know what? Okay, I hear that. I understand that. And this is what I felt. Or giving the chance for apology and opportunity for things to be to be mended. So, you know, part of what I think is is the hard part, if we'll be honest, is we don't we don't always know how to run an internal process of really uh, uh, lining out and clearly articulating, you know, what it is that really bothers us, what it is that really hurt us. And to be vulnerable enough to share that, like I said, when it's possible and when it's safe, to share that with another person and to give them the opportunity to respond to that. Yeah, yeah. And, and understanding that when we're in that space of feeling offended and our emotions are running on high, and we're pumped up and heaven forbid we done told a few folks and they got us pumped up. Right. Right. So now I think you said it that day is like, we will pile on charges that are not even necessary. Yep. So because we don't have the words to clearly articulate what we are really bothered by in that moment, you know, just the emotion alone will have us find a million things we're bothered by. And really when you get to the root of it, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. Yep. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and and what's amazing is I see this most often in relationships like husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, significant mm-hmm. other that, you know, we will bring stuff from years ago, you know, into a present <laughs> conversation. <laughs> it's like and 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 it's and it oftentimes derails our ability to be able to really sort through what's happening right now, because we brought in so many other things that really don't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but because we're feeling that emotion, it's all coming up. And in some, some ways 
because we have been hurt by the person. We want them to feel the hurt that we that we feel. So we just throw in everything that we can to really almost overwhelm them. So they will, you know, feel like, you know, well, I'm I'm guilty as charged and have to just fess up to everything. You know, it, it really becomes dangerous. Yeah. The next one was release on your own recognizance. Yes. And <laughs> OR. So OR release. Here's here's my angle on that. The faster you release a person, the easier it is not to hold them. And what I mean by that is, so part of what happens with OR when, when, when it comes to um, people who are tried criminally or whatever it is, you know, in some cases, an individual can just be released, you know, like, hey, here's your release date, promise to show back up, you know, for whatever, you know, proceedings that are going to take place to trial, whatever. But you allow the person to be released while the cases are being built, Right. So while the prosecution is building their case and defense is building their case, you allow the person not to be held. So it's here's what I think. It is suspending judgment. That's all it is. Suspending. The, the tendency is a situation happens. Something goes terribly wrong. And we jump almost immediately to, you know, this happened. That means this person hates me. And so that person needs to be X, Y, Z. We go right for the jugular. My sense is if we can say, you know what, this happened, I did feel this, but instead of me making assumptions and drawing conclusions and making judgments immediately, I'm going to allow the person not to be held in my heart in bitterness and resentment while we have time to sort out the situation. And I think when you can at the, at the beginning say, you know, what, I'm not going to walk in the fence. I am not going to be a victim. I am not going to, I'm not, even if it feels like everything. And even if once we talk about it, we realize that what we thought was true and some adjustments need to be made. The fact is making that judgment before you had a chance to walk through the process makes it so much harder. Cause here's what happens. If you cast judgment and you put that stake in the ground, even when you have gone through the process and realized that maybe you have made a mistake. You've lost so much time and you said hurtful things. And so many things have now emerged in the process because your hurt was talking before the truth had been revealed. And so even though the situation maybe got sorted out, now you got to deal with all of the stuff that happened while you were mad. So it's for us, I believe, to say look, to, to, to the best of our ability to say, you know, what, before I get to the place of saying, you know, this is what it is. Let me stop and say we got to run a process first. Let me suspend judgment till we had a chance to sort this thing out. So what does that look like? So if we're going to suspend judgment, because like you said, we're, we're probably so many of us kind of conditioned at this point, especially if you have, you know, family that raised you that like to pop off. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. So you're kind of conditioned at this point to, to jump to conclusions and make sure people know that you're not the one. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. you know I, said that, I did that with a little neck roll, you know, Absolutely. Sure I love it. know that you're not the one. How do you train yourself then to or recondition yourself to be able to take a beat or a pause and and process this and release people without judgment because you know how it is. Our minds will go a million miles per hour yeah. and one thing can happen. And we have created a whole movie, a whole story, a narrative in our minds about what this must mean. 
yeah. and what they must think and who do yeah. they think I am. And yeah. and so how do you not spiral yeah. into that? Yeah, such a great question. And, and here's my thought on it. My thought, number one, is a lot of times we spiral. I want to say it's the right way. A lot of times we spiral when we own whatever the end result of the offense is. Here's what I mean. Oh, wait, you got to say that again, though. (laughs) All right. So sometimes we spiral when we own or identify whatever the end result of the offense is. So let's say someone does something that makes us feel because here's the truth. The truth is whatever the offense is, the problem really arises when it when it when it begins to alter how we feel about ourselves. Right. So it's like someone said something you know, adverse about me. And then I, I feel like I am mischaracterized or I feel judged or I feel like I'm painting in a light, painting in a light that's, that's inappropriate or incorrect or whatever. Right. The problem comes in when you own that. So, so if I, if you do something that offends me, that hurts me, let's say you gossip about me behind my back or, or you've, you know, um, in some way, you know, impacted my life. Right. When I take that and say, you know what? I own that. I am. I identify with whatever that was. Whatever you try to do to hurt me, it worked. If I receive that truth, then I, I have no other choice but to live in judgment. But when you do something, I say, I don't care what you do. What you do can't define me. What you do can't alter my future. What you do can't change my destiny. When I can live in the truth that who I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, that his, that my destiny is in his hands, that my future is secure. When I can be confident that the God that began a good work is going to complete it. And nothing that you say and nothing that you do can alter that. Then I don't have to rush to judgment. I I can give time for the trial. I can give because here's the deal because my future and the play that God's running in my life is unaltered. But when we find ourselves feeling like what that person said, what that person did, how that person treated me somehow is going to change, impact, diminish, reduce, you know, some some way adversely affect my destiny, then we rush to judgment, right? We rush to that place because it's like, oh, you know, I'm in because I'm stuck in this situation based on what you did. But when I can say nothing that you can do can change who I am, then I don't have to rush to judgment. And, and so that's what I'm hoping is that you know, for many of us, we have to really ask ourselves some tough questions of why we allow, you know, for people. This is a hard thing to say. I know people might be a little offended by this. We got to ask ourselves some tough questions. Why do we allow for the acts, behaviors, the thoughts of other people to have such a defining work in our lives? When we know who we are, people will offend us. They will rub us the wrong. They will do things to try to sabotage us. That's going to happen. When I know who I am and, and that my destiny is secure, it allows me to rest differently when I'm engaging with culture and engaging with people around me. So my hope is, as we think about that and say, you know, I know who I am. I know this this is not good. There needs to be some things put in. I need to maybe, you know, make some moves and change some things, put some things in place. Yeah, all that's going to come out in the wash. But for now, let me remind myself of who I am. And know that I am not altered by this, that I am not impacted by this. I might be hurt. I may feel some, but feel some kind of way, but it is not going to redefine who I am according to what God has already said about me. Oh, I want to throw this whole desk. (laughs) (laughs) 
I want to flip this entire desk. Oh my gosh, that is so good. It is so good. And it, it goes right into the next part because this part is about not rushing to judgment because we know who we are. Right. I, like I, I know who I am. I know whose I am. And right. so while what you said about me or thought or whatever may not be favorable, it doesn't change my destiny. Absolutely not. The thing that I love is that it goes right in to the next step, which is the trial or the conversation. Yeah. And this is where I have learned to really allow myself to have compassion for people who have offended mm-hmm. me. Because oh, yes. not until we have the conversation do we always get context. And I'm talking about even my, my husband, right? Yep, absolutely. It doesn't matter that we've been married for 10, 11, 12, I, how long we've been married. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't oh, matter. It doesn't matter. He better be listening. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many years we've been married or how many years we've been together, how many years we've been friends. At the end of the day, there are still things that come up and they do have the potential to hurt or harm or offend, but it's not until we have a real sit down conversation where I could get context about some things that happened before he even knew who I was, mm-hmm. before he even really knew himself, mm-hmm. right? And that shifts, that conversation typically will shift anything. It trumps anything that I may have been thinking nine times out of 10. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, some years ago, I was doing some counseling with a couple and in the conversation, I mean, they, were, they had really hit, they had hit a wall. And so in, in one, one of the conversations, if I was sitting in their home doing this session and the wife was talking about how she felt at this point in her life, you know, she was staying, stay at home mom. And she just felt like, you know, she wasn't being valued. She was so used to being driven, driven in a way that she was actualizing purpose in some unique ways in industry. And now they had decided that she was going to take a break from that, you know, to raise the kids. And it just was a it was a new place for her. And she really felt vulnerable. She know she like I haven't had to ask someone for money. I, I made tons of money. You know what I mean? So, you know, so she just was in this weird place of trying to get her spouse to understand that. You know, she was struggling with with where she was. And it was a whole lot of extra elements, of course, to it. But as we talked, you know, they, they, they kept hitting a wall on trying to understand where the breakdown was. So I asked him, I said, well, can you tell me of a time when you ever felt vulnerable? Time when you ever felt like, you know, you felt exposed. So he began to talk about some elements from his childhood and growing up and times when he felt vulnerable. What was happening was... He was now reframing in his own world her experiences. And it wasn't until he began to talk about his own feelings of vulnerability that he began to see where she was coming from. What was amazing, though, is that in that moment, as he began to have to unpack that for himself, she began to hear stories that she had never heard before about his life and some of the ways in which he was now processing with her had nothing to do with her, but how he grew up. It just, it changed the way in which he processed and operated. And it was in that conversation that they came to a place of understanding that really was the making of them taking a moment and being able to reframe the person's world within their own personal context. And I think, you know, when it comes to what we call the trial of forgiveness, 
you know, we've seen this a hundred times, a thousand times, where you'll see an individual who maybe has lost their way and done some things that maybe are unbecoming or, you know, we wouldn't want them to do that. But when they begin to talk about their situation, talk about their world, you know, the elements, you know, we, we have the age old ethical conversation, you know, would a man uh, steal bread to feed his starving family. You know, these conversations that are very real conversations, as as much as that's kind of just a an idea that's bantered about in ethical in ethical worlds. My thought is this: a lot of times, even people who have harmed me and have, have offended me, when I have a chance to sit with them and to hear their story, I realize oftentimes that that comes from a place of sometimes their own brokenness, their own hurt. And, and I, I heard there's a great pastor in uh, on in Atlanta, in fact, uh, Pastor Andy Stanley. He says, the further away you are from a person or a situation, the easier it seems. But the closer you get, you begin to unravel the complexity of that person's life, their narrative, their script. And my thought is, you know, I use the, the term trial because in trial, evidence is presented. And not just evidence about the circumstance, but there are elements. That are that are brought in about a person's upbringing, about what was happening around them, what was informing and motivating the decision making process. And I think if we as human beings would learn how to talk to each other, like I know that we're hurt. I know that our hearts are broken. But if if the spirit of God can just cool our heads and warm our hearts long enough to sit across from a person and just hear them out, I venture to say not everything, but there would be a whole lot more meeting of the minds and a whole lot more of an ability to connect with each other and to see that, hey, you know, this was wrong, but not only do we need to right this wrong, now I have compassion for you to say, you know what, how do we make sure that you get to a healthy place that you don't have to continue to perpetuate these type of behaviors? And I think love can take over when a person has a chance to hear that, yeah, you know, some of my woundedness, you know, we heard the phrase hurting people hurt people. Mm-hmm. So we can hear that story of hurt and understand that with compassion and eyes of compassion, maybe there could be a meeting of the minds to for everyone to be healed, not just the one that's offended by the experience, but the offender can be healed also because they're able to have a partner who covenants with them to say, you know what, this isn't right, but it's not right for either of us. So let's all get to a healthy place. Yeah, I, I think that the offender also has an opportunity to learn something new. I think that what comes out of this as well is it may not be someone where you're, you know, where you have an opportunity to maybe go as deep and hear a lot of the backstory, but it can be simple things where people are literally just, they just don't know, Mm. like they don't realize that their behavior is offensive. Like no one has ever called them on it. That's true. You know, they just they just literally live in an alternate reality sometimes. And, you know, there's so many ways that that happens. I mean, I think just because we're all so different and, and I'm really grateful to live in a country where there are so many different people. But I mean, even culturally, there are things that are just different. And I remember one time. When uh, Gerald and I went to Hong Kong and there was um, these, I still don't know what it's called to be honest, but I took a picture of it. It was like, it was as as if you would go up to a hot dog stand on the corner Mm -hmm. and I looked over, you know, to see what was going on. 
And it was literally the stuff that looked like intestines, like like cow or pig. Into- I don't know what it was. But to me, I was like, you know, the 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 American little girl from South Central from the hood kicked in. I was like, Ugh, I, you know, and I remember I typed out and I, I was, you know, documenting this journey on Facebook. And I remember these young ladies that I went to high school with sent me a message and told me they were so disappointed in me. Hmm. And I'm like, for what? I think it's nasty. Like, <laughs> you know, I couldn't see it in the moment. I was like, I mean, what's the problem? If you go to Belize, you know, I'm Belizean. And I'm like, if you go to Belize and see something you don't like, and it's a uh, to you, I'm not going to be upset. But that goes back to me. I don't really get easily offended sure. or anything like that. But I had to take a step back and realize, like, I, I was, I came off a little arrogant and ignorant. Mm. Right. Because this is a delicacy for them, you know, and this is like their thing. Um, And here I am in in their country making this assumption. And I had, you know, dozens of people who were chiming in about how gross, how nasty does this thing, all this stuff that was really just ignorant. And I, I needed to I needed to just be more culturally aware and sensitive. And so in that moment, you know, I just needed to know. Right. And I I was I'm actually and they went back and forth with me in like DMs. But I'll say that they didn't just hang me. You know, they they corrected me with grace. Yeah. And I still think about that, because when we talk about people who are kind of out to lunch and they don't know that they're being offensive and they like that includes us. (laughs) You know, that includes you and I. And I feel like as much as I really pride myself on being a self-help junkie and I've been on a pursuit of like personal development stuff since I was 19 years old. But in the same respect, you know, I I make bad decisions or I don't know what I don't know. And so I don't I, I don't want it to be a conversation where everything has to be so huge. I think that this comes up in everyday things. Yeah. And just in how we interact with other people's culture, like this can come up. But you told a story at church about an older Caucasian woman in Target who attempted to touch your daughter's hair. And now, to be clear, I never said she was Caucasian. <laughs> you all assumed she was. Oh, OK. You assumed correctly, but just oh. for the record. <laughs> well, well, the story was so funny that I could only visualize. But I think that I went. So talk about implicit bias. Okay. OK, so I went there because I've had that experience a million times with Reagan, right. where we have been in stores or we've been places and people start touching her braids yeah, or they pat her head as if she's yeah. like a little dog or something. And now that she's older, you know, she can do the duck and dodge and she'll like, <laughs> you know, but I've had that experience where I've had to gently correct someone. And I don't think that they meant anything by it. Right. They weren't they weren't being rude, per se. They literally thought it was okay. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I, I just want to be sure that we're we're clear that it doesn't always have to be super deep. Sure. Like this comes up every day. Yeah. And we have an opportunity to have these conversations as opposed to rushing to judgment in so many different ways. And then when we get context, hopefully it helps us, you know, really process a little better before we make the decision to move to sentencing. And I think on the and just one quick note, and yeah. I think your point is so great. And I think on the on the offense and on the offender side, 
you know, while the offended shouldn't rush to judgment, I think that the offender, when possible, should rush to apology. Like sometimes I know that some rushed apologies can feel inauthentic and I, and I understand that. But sometimes we prolong apologizing or begging part, pardon because of our pride and our ego. But to your point, there have been tons of times when people have brought to my attention, yo, are you nuts, man? You said this, you did that. And that is not okay. And instead of me trying to argue or figure out a way to, you know, get around and say, well, you just, what? no, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. I apologize. And I think that that part is so important to your point. Doesn't have to be deep. We have to learn to say, I'm sorry, just to apologize when we you know, run, run over someone in, in ways that we shouldn't have. Yeah. And then, so that leads us to sentencing. And you yes. say that sentencing is always forgiveness. Every single time. And here's, here's how I qualify, because people get really uncomfortable with that. Here's what I believe. Sentencing is always forgiveness. The question is, is it released to reunification or a new normal. And I think that's the part that sometimes people don't recognize. I believe wholeheartedly that forgiveness is always the answer, but reunification is not always the answer. Sometimes you forgive a person and then you realize that you can't go back in the same circumstance, the same behaviors, the same relationship, the same structure. You know, you can't go back to the same things but you can still forgive. And so, you know, oftentimes people feel like it's one or the other, like they're mutually exclusive. And I don't, they are. I think you can forgive and still say, you know what, but we can't be, well, it'll never be what it used to be. Um, We can figure out something, a path forward or decide that it's probably better for us to go our separate ways, but we have to do so without holding or harboring that person. Cause here's what'll happen. You'll physically be detached from them. But in your heart, you'll always carry that that wound, that bruise, and it will be raw and you won't be be able to get past whatever that circumstance is. Yeah. And and you may perpetuate that on other people. Absolutely. And other circumstances that even feel slightly familiar. Absolutely. I I was watching Game of Thrones (laughs) and there's a line that I love. Uh, I can't remember who said they said, choose your enemies wisely because you invariably become just like them. Ooh. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, I certainly don't think, and I don't want to choose any enemies. I get the point of what's being said. You know, when you get into a perpetual state of, of conflict with someone, that, that takes up residence on the inside of you. So you have to be careful about what you allow to, to be seeded into your life, because to your point, it will blossom and it will produce fruit in harming other people. Mm. Okay. And the final stage is restitution. And I have in my notes, people who harm me cannot provide restitution to me. They can't undo what's done and they don't have the capacity. That's right. (laughs) So what I was suggesting to our congregation and those who are watching was that we have to ultimately look for restitution from, from above. Um, one example I gave was, you know, a person who is stolen, this is just kind of just a, a casual kind of illustration, but a person who steals something from you can return the item to you, but cannot return you the safety that you felt before you arrived, you know? And so that only comes in my estimation 
from above. Only God can give me back that sense of safety and security. The purse can give me back my stuff. I remember years ago when my um, years ago, I was uh, at the mall with, with then this was when I was a teenager with my girlfriend. We're at the mall. And we went into, I think it was, uh, I can't remember what mall it was, but long story, we came back out of the mall and there was a gentleman who was in my car, like robbing me in my car. So, so we walked off the elevator into the parking structure We and I see him. She doesn't see him. I see him like in the backseat of my car. So I immediately take her, I turn her around and we walk back into the mall, contact the appropriate people. They come out by this time. Of course, he's gone. We get in the car and from that moment, both she and I were shaken, but the feeling of, of vulnerability and insecurity, right? The feeling that I could, you know, have my possessions or even my person impacted by someone that had ill intention at any moment. That feeling is something that can only be restored, I believe, you know, by, by the Lord, you know, and even if nothing was gone, even nothing was tampered, I mean, even even if my stuff was all there and all returned, you know, that person can't give me back the security that I felt before. And I think a lot of times what we do is we're waiting for people to make good on things they can't. They don't have the capacity for it. They can't. The, the years, you know, long term relationships or even short term situations where a person, you know, you've made an investment, the energy that you spent, the time, the tears that you cried, all of that stuff. They can't fix that. And, and for us, I think sometimes part of the reason that we're we're walking in unforgiveness is because we're waiting for them to make us feel better because they have to somehow restore and they have to make good. And the truth is at their best, on their best day, they'll never be able to undo it. And I think for us, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. You're a person of faith. You know, we lean, I believe, on our faith for the Lord in a lot of ways to be able to heal the pains that we felt in life. Uh, because people just can't do that. So for restitution, it really is an inward work. Now, don't get me wrong. If someone steals from you, I want them to give you your stuff back. So I'm not trying to say that people should not attempt to restore and to make amends. I believe in that. I believe in people doing the best they can to, to make right whatever has been wrong. I believe in that. I'm just saying that we have to measure our expectations and know that while they can do something, I promise you this, they cannot do it all. And there's a work that has to happen internally between you and your creator to really restore, you know, your emotions, to restore uh, your, your psyche. I mean, all of that to the place that I think he intends for you to be. Yeah, I learned to adopt a new definition of forgiveness in therapy, actually, mm-hmm. And I learned that, and I don't know who said the exact quote, but essentially forgiveness is giving up the possibility of a better past. Yes. And instead of rehearsing and reciting and just, you know how we do, we go in circles about who coulda, shoulda, woulda, and we will play that thing in our minds over and over and over again. And the truth is, like you said, those years can't be redeemed. Like, and especially if someone has apologized yeah. If they've confessed, if they, you know, if they've acknowledged whatever wrong, yeah. wanting to make them hurt or feel the insecurity that you felt in that moment is really pointless because yeah. that's still not going to make you feel better. Exactly. So now y'all both hurting. <laughs> you know? yep. I love that you said to close out this, this sermon, I have forgiveness is not the removal of the charge. It's the refusal to sentence them to death. Yeah. 
<laughs> that is powerful. Yeah. And I think we, we fear that. We fear that if we forgive, that maybe we're saying it didn't happen or we're saying it doesn't matter. And that's not at all what we're saying. We're not at all saying that by forgiving a person that what took place wasn't what it was. It's not removing the charges. It's just saying that here's let's let's be honest. Let's just, it's saying this. All of us in this life have needed grace and mercy. Not a single one of us has danced through the daisies in this life. We, we haven't, you know, I'm not saying everyone's done everything, but we all have needed mercy. We all needed grace. So it's just saying I refuse to condemn you to death. I believe. Oh, I heard someone say something that was so powerful. They were talking about this concept, how in culture we jumped, we jumped to um, a fatal disposition when it comes to a person that's offended them or done something terrible. So they were talking about this is when the NFL was having a lot of issues with players who had either committed some sexual assault or some physical assault. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was a female commentator. And she said, the reason I believe that there ought to be a process, a legitimate process of restoration is because it incentivizes people to make the right decision when they have done something wrong. If a person feels like if I've done something wrong, it's fatal and it's death, then they will continue down the negative path thinking that there's no way to come back from what they've done. Mm -hmm. But if you say, you know what, while I may not be the person that's going to be responsible for your restoration, <laughs> it is available to you in some form or some shape. It incentivizes people to stop bad behavior and say, you know what, there is a path forward for me to do things the right way. And so for me, I just I just don't want to get in the, in the business of being an executioner. I'd rather be in a place of saying, yes, these things have happened. And I don't want to be executed, honestly, for things that I've done. wrong. You know what I mean? Um, and I believe that the grace, you know, that has been made available to me is what I ought to extend to others. To the extent that I can do that, I find myself, for me, walking out the creator's life in this earth. I become this incarnation of this incredible God who's loved me in such incredible ways. And, and I can offer that to other people. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Before I let you go, we end every episode with redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and I want you to tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. okay. How do you define success? Success for me is defined that I am walking in absolute purpose according to God's design, not my own. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Peace, purpose, Risk. Oh, I don't think I've heard that yet. Very good. Okay. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Wow, that's a really good one. <laughs> one book that has redefined how I see wealth. I'd probably say a book called Unlocking Heaven. Do you know the author? I, uh, Kevin Deadman. Unlocking Heaven. Unlocking okay, cool. Heaven by Kevin Dedman. We'll have to link to that. Okay, yeah. fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. 
My name is Jeremy, and the truth about wealth is you have more of it than you recognize. Indeed. I totally agree. Pastor G, thank you so, so much. This was incredible. Oh, my gosh. This was incredible. Like, I feel I feel folks being unshackled. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope so. Let's hope so. I feel I folks being it. unshackled. I will make sure that I share uh, the link to the series on YouTube because I really think that we need to get all of these. Unshackled was just the one that I had to keep coming back to. And I think once folks hear the rest of it, they'll find which one is their thing. Mm -hmm. in this season, but I really applaud you. Unstuck was an amazing, amazing series. Um, I know personally that I had a lot of breakthroughs because of it, and I'm just really, really grateful, really grateful for you. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. And and I love you and you love your family dearly. You know, you guys are doing some great work and I appreciate, I appreciate your authenticity. I'm telling you, it shines through in the ways you don't even realize. So thanks for being amazing. Oh, thank you. All right. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? This is one of those episodes you will have to listen to over and over again to really get this in your spirit. And let me tell you, if you want the full series, the full Unstuck series, because remember, we only pulled out a nugget. I couldn't even give you everything that I got to experience live in that church during this uh, series. But if you want to experience it for yourself, you want to check out the Unstuck series at jeremydixon.com. Go to jeremydixon.com. He has a YouTube page and just listen to this entire series. I promise it will bless you. One of the things that blessed me listening back to this episode, which we recorded a few months ago, is that now that my family has transitioned from Los Angeles back to Atlanta, yes, I moved back to the ATL uh, last month. It struck me that he mentioned Andy Stanley, and that's actually now my pastor. I attended Buckhead Church before leaving Atlanta and was coming back, and I thought it was so cool that he actually mentioned him. So now I feel really like I'm in the right place, like I got his blessing, right? But here's the deal. The root of today's message is unforgiveness is keeping you stuck. And if you have found yourself so consumed by what someone did to you, what someone said to you, how they made you feel. Remember what Pastor G said, people cannot undo an offense. They can't undo it. They can't go back and, you know, make it like it never happened. It's there. It happened. But you holding on to it, you holding on to it is a choice. You holding on to it is distracting you from the call on your life. You want to know why you can't break through and get what you want professionally or financially? What if it's because you don't even have the clarity to do the things, to take the necessary steps needed because you are so blinded by this unforgiveness that you're harboring? And trust me, I have been through some heinous things. I have been through some incredible betrayals and I just refuse to allow it to keep me in bondage because I realize that even those things could be used as a blessing. If you believe that all things work together for your good, why not that? Why not that? If you're allowing it to keep you stuck, 
Please understand that the operative word in that little sentence I just said was allowing it. You're allowing it. You don't have to be in bondage to this. And I want to see you win in every area of your life and truly have the wealth that is your birthright. But you got to let some stuff go. So if you're a purpose chaser, I invite you to come over to IamAPurposeChaser.com. Get in our free complimentary Slack community and let's talk about it. I want you guys to unpack these episodes more openly. Uh, I realize that you guys feel like you know me in particular because you hear my voice all the time and you send me all these direct messages. But there are so many other people from all over the world who feel you. They see you. They hear you. They understand you. And they are there to support you. And my heart is that you connect with folks you wouldn't have connected with otherwise, all because you were drawn to this podcast. So let's discuss it. Come over to the Slack community. Let's call it out so we can say what it is once and for all. It's a, it's completely a distraction to your destiny. And let's move forward, okay? You know my heart. My heart, every time I get on this mic, is to do just three things. Help you live your life's purpose find fulfillment, and get the clarity and strength to earn more without ever chasing money. I'll talk to you later.